0: The other kind of radio, radio. The other kind of radio. The other kind of radio The other kind of radio, radio. The other from the studios here in the Omaha, Nebraska. Radio, Nebraska. Radio, radio, radio. Welcome to The Other Kind Radio. The other kind this radio, is episode radio, 15 radio, radio. for June 24th, 2018. The other kind of radio, 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 radio. I hope all the kind listeners out there are, uh had a good week. Are able to sit back and relax a little bit this weekend. You know, take take a take a step off that treadmill of life. Listen to the podcast, maybe have a beer. Or whatever you like, tea. Some people like tea. Uh, Bill Burr on his podcast, he's talking about coffee that's made from mushrooms. Maybe you get some of that stuff. Um, Welcome to the show. So glad to be here. Can't tell you how glad I am to be here and to be doing this show. Uh, We've got some great things to talk about this week. Just a quick heads up. We're going to, on Todd Takes On, we're going to do, he's going to talk to us about the Wonderland Murders podcast I know nothing about that so i know if he's uh if he's doing his take on it it'll be good um my judgment not to outdo his i'm going to talk a little bit about the cws got to go to the college world series with my pop watching baseball that was good uh started watching season two of goliath and i have a correction uh jeff did not have his facts straight last week so we're gonna fix uh that After two weeks of the Fantasy Movie League, I'll have an update with uh, some scores and and conversation about that. That league is turning into be a little more fun than I thought it would be, so I'm enjoying that. And then last but not least, we are going to cover 60 through 51 of the AFI Top 100 Movies 10th Anniversary Edition. And Todd has told me before the podcast that two of his fave movies are on are in the list, or in our 10 this week. So I'll be excited about that. So I am getting the blinking light. It looks like uh, Todd is out of makeup. Let's see if we can't get him. You know, it would be easier if he just used one frequency, but he changes it every week. I think he's trying to... Here we, oh, no, okay. I I think we're... Yep, yep. Todd, can you hear us? Come, come in, Todd.
1: I can't ever figure out, is that... Frequency or somebody's shaving me? <laughs> if...
0: if your shaver sounds like that, we got to talk because that's that's not healthy, my friend.
1: That might be the problem. <laughs> but yes, I'm here, Jeff. I'm here with you. I'm out of makeup. Don't I look rosy? Aren't, aren't my cheeks, like, full of color today? I tell you, every
0: time we do this podcast, you look better and better. And I think that's because... Uh, I get further
1: and further away? You
0: get further and further away. Uh, and I am really, really enjoying listening to you on the... Wonka podcast everlasting. Uh, yes. I'm sorry. So that's, that's where I, that's what's called uh, a meatball. I, I, I forget. And then you come in and what was it? Cause I was talking over you.
1: Th- that's why we're good friends because even now what I'm doing, because I know that you're going to want to take an extra drink since you taught me how I need to dance <laughs> a little bit further. But Jeff, the podcast is called the everlasting minute. And yes. I've been on there now for two weeks and I'm about to have my third week next week. Uh, one of the co-hosts was on vacation And I was already going to be a part of it because I'd made a mention on Minute of the Apes of the podcast that I do that uh, the song Pure Imagination and the moment in that movie is one of my all-time favorite songs slash movie moments. And they asked me to come on and talk about it. So then because Jason, one of the co-hosts, was out on vacation, they said, will you just be on for nine episodes? I've done nine episodes.
0: And such a such a great job that you guys are doing. That song is fantastic. I, I learned some things about fifths and sevenths and stretches and <laughs> keys, and there was stuff. I believe you me. I was on Wikipedia a lot trying to understand some of it. Um, okay,
1: that's where you're also selling yourself short because you're a much better <laughs> musician than you let on. Um, Jeff played some music tracks for me that he wrote, and I was like, "Well, good God, Jeff, you're holding back on me." So you understand it, but to what just talking about we get into it and and it's just part of who i am i studied both music and film and i love both pretty equally and i i i actually have spent time breaking apart pure imagination because i want to understand why it works and that's what we get into and that's what jeff's referring to
0: so definitely check out that podcast um what is it called again
1: the everlasting minute
0: okay i won't i won't ever forget that i won't forget everlasting <laughs> the
1: everlasting forgetful Jeff. yeah <laughs>
0: um so i hope you had a good week welcome 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 get comfortable and let's go ahead and fire up that projector oh yeah oh yeah let's turn down the projector let's let's turn down that projector Just, there we go and let's uh, let's get into what todd takes on todd what you taking on this week
1: so it's the wonderland murders podcast and i stumbled across it one day trying to find something to listen to and immediately i thought Why do I know about that? Now, I'm going to read the description, and then I'll tell you what finally came to me of why I know about it. The description from their website is, In 1981, four people were brutally murdered in their home in Hollywood Hills. The Wonderland Murders is the tale of a violent home invasion robbery and revenge rampage that followed. It involves a drug-fueled gang of criminals, a crazed crime kingpin, and the world's most famous porn star on a downward and deadly spiral. As I listened, I found out it's about John Holmes, and that he, you know, went from being the height of one of the first true porn stars to just a druggie, who basically got involved in a situation where he let he let things happen, and then to make it right had to be involved in murders. It is the inspiration for the Paul Thomas Anderson film Boogie Nights. Now, and, the, real, real quick, that's that's that's
0: curious to me because I don't remember any murders in Boogie Nights.
1: Well, I. As best I remember, you don't see the murders. What you see, there's a place where um, Alfred Molina is in it, and they go over to his house to get something, and he's playing a guy in a robe, wearing only bikini panties and tossing firecrackers around while Sister Christian by Night Ranger plays. And that is the moment of this porn star being involved. He's the crazed kingpin. So uh, you know, without getting into too much of it, he all all the true John Holmes wanted was another fix. Uh, he met some guys with drugs that he was trying to you know get in with them, so they'd give him a fix. They had antique guns. They said, if you do this, we'll we'll make all this work. Long story short, the gr- the kingpin takes their guns. They they want revenge. They go over and rob them. Then he gets involved. It's convoluted, but I promise you, when you listen to it, this is a compelling podcast. Partially because it is only about uh i'm looking at it right now seven episodes long that's it and you're gonna get and this is based on the true crime stuff this is done by wondery so it is top-notch podcast they actually they're gonna treat it like a true story with a true script beautifully done and the very last episode is the two main detectives who one of them by the way was one of the main detectives on oj's case um they wrote a book called Malice in Wonderland, and they actually talk about the case and everything that went on in, with within it. Oh, wow. If, if you've ever seen Boogie Nights, listen to this, and you'll suddenly realize, oh, I see what they stole here and what they did. I'm actually – I just watched half of Boogie Nights in that because I had to consume it. I, I told Jeff before this happens, and this is something my wife always says, when I become obsessed with something, I have to know everything I can. So I listen to this. I watched Boogie Nights. Well, there's also a Val Kilmer film called Wonderland, which tells the actual story of this. Now, I didn't get great reviews. I went and watched it. It's not a great film, but it's a good film. So, this is what I'd recommend. Make this a three-part journey for yourself. Listen to this, binge this podcast. Go watch Boogie Nights. Go watch Wonderland. It. You will. You'll be floored by what the outcome of this case is. In that order. I I don't care. No. I, I would not watch. I would not watch Boogie Land, uh, Boogie Nights first, simply because it is very fictitious and it doesn't go into all the detail And it. And again, it doesn't call him John Holmes. It calls him Dirk Digler.
0: Ah, I gotcha. It, Cause he, I do remember that scene in Boogie Nights and it's one of my favorite m- movie scenes. Um, mm, me too. I, again, I, you and I talked a little bit about baby driver and how I, I really like when sound is used to, pull you into the situation. And yeah, he's listening to, to sister Christian. He's, he's obviously just high as all get out. Right. And it's, he has this, um, uh, um, Asian gentleman that's living in his house or is there his house guest or whatever. And he's the one that's lighting the firecrackers. And every time oh. the, with the guys being there and being not so upfront about what this transaction they're going to do, Every time, you, th- as the this, as this scene becomes more intense, those those firecrackers just go off at the right time. Bang! And it just it jars you in your seat as you're sitting there trying to see what's going to happen in this scene.
1: You know, we talked about Paul Thomas Anderson before with Phantom Thread, which I know is not your favorite film, but here's what I think about great filmmakers, and I think Paul Thomas Anderson is a great filmmaker. Their films may be the type of thing that comes into pop culture and completely splits it and some people think it's brilliant, some th- people think it's a piece of junk. But that is the sign of a true artist to me, that one 100% sticks to the conviction, tells the story, gets it out there, and doesn't care what your end result is. I do think Boogie Nights is probably his m- most approachable film. I think just about anybody can watch it. It, it. it has a sense of joy to it, and even though it's about the porn industry. So if you've not seen it, Watch it. Just put aside your convictions. If I don't want to watch something about the porn industry, very good film.
0: Well, I am definitely going to check that out. I, I, I'm getting ready to go on business uh, business trip for a couple of days, so I'll load up the old uh, iPhone with You'll that and listen to it. Thank you. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get that uh, projector shut down. There we go. And uh, maybe we'll get some some loves in eleven. There we go. The kids are happy. I'm just realizing how socially inappropriate that was because we just talked about uh, porn and I had kids cheer, so. <laughs>
1: kids, kids. Porn <laughs> is, is just another word for corn.
0: So please send all your complaints to info at
1: theotherkindradio.com.
0: Of I apologize. <laughs> Sometimes the comedy just doesn't happen the way you want it to. <clears throat> well, thank you, Todd. Appreciate that. Before we get into Jeff's judgment, I do have kind of a funny story for you, Todd. Um okay. And I had some some background audio. My you know, my dad and I went to the, the College World Series uh to watch Texas play Florida, play Florida. And uh while the game didn't turn out the way that we would have preferred, uh it was a great experience um being at the CWS. Won. Florida won. Oh Han- handedly. Handedly. Ooh. Um so you know, the great thing about going to um the ballpark is is the ambiance. It is um uh you know, hearing all the sounds and, and and watching a game and being around people and I, I did record some audio for some reason. I'm having some issues pulling it up, so we'll we'll do that at another time. But uh, so my dad and I sit down. <clears throat> uh, we're taken in the scene, and uh, you know it's it. The game hasn't started yet, and uh, so we're there uh, hanging out, and uh, this song comes on. And I, let me know when you know what it is.
1: The D30 Special. I don't like the song a whole lot, but, but what is the name of that song? It's uh,
0: Hold On Loosely. Thank you. Um, you know, this is in a guilty pleasure area for, for, uh, for this guy. Uh, I don't listen to it on a regular basis, but to re-kind of paint the picture for you. pop an air there, that's playing in the background, and I'm tapping my foot, and I turn to my father and I say, Pop, I could give you 30 million guesses, and you would never know who played this. Because this is not the music my father ever listened to. This was the music that was you know, uh, frowned upon in the household. Right. And uh, I'm now, I've thrown the, ch- the gauntlet out there, but I, I am, I'm distracted by uh, balloons and, and baseball and, and, and stuff. And my dad just sits there for a second real quiet. And he goes, oh, so, yeah. oh, it's one of those awful bands. Oh, let's see. Uh, yeah, it's like 38 Special.
1: <laughs> he had shazam out
0: and i was in the middle of taking a bite of hot dog and i was for the first time in my life i actually looked at him with my mouth open with the hot dog you know like stuffed in it i'm like oh and i'm like i go oh my god <laughs> <laughs> blew me away i mean i just i i was shocked that that uh he pulled that out and he goes how many guesses now did you say i got and i was like yeah it's like something like 30 million so um, that was, that was a good memory there. The other thing about the Col- the college world series, uh, that I thought was interesting. Uh, we were very close behind first base. we got some really good tickets and, um, there are people, you know, you start to recognize the people around you and there's some people that are, they're cheering and, you know, and then there's always that one guy that's like real vocal, you know, he's like yelling at the ref and, and, you know, um. I will include that that this gentleman was a Florida fan, um, but he wasn't really doing anything inappropriate. Um, but he was the vocal vocal voice in the group. Now I know the kind of listeners like, really you you weren't the one shouting. Nah, you know at sporting events I kind of keep my mouth closed unless there's something to cheer about. This guy's just kind of yelling stuff. So about the sixth inning, it starts raining, and I have never seen uh, more. Machismo uh, people move as quickly as they did. And Pop turned to me, he said, what do you want to do? I said, no, and, you know, they didn't stop the game. I said, I want to watch the game. So we sat there and it only rained for, you know, maybe five, six minutes. We just sat there in the rain, watched the game, you know. <laughs> and I, I just, I'm just surprised. And, and maybe I can, I can throw this your way, Todd. I, I, do you, are you, do you like getting rained on? Is that something, am I missing something? Is there a gene that, that somehow has been wiped out in my heritage?
1: Huh? I don't mind getting rained on. What I hate is that I I wear glasses. I, I, now at the point in my life where I have to wear it all the time. And honestly, nothing, Mm. nothing, uh, doesn't infuriate me. What's, what's the level below infuriate? Frustrate? Uh, Frustrate. Yep. It really frustrates me when I'm trying to watch something and all I see are raindrops. <laughs> and so I, I'm not a big fan of it, but, but I will say this, if I were at a good game, that's one of the reasons I married my wife, I would turn to her and go, you know what? And she'd be like, we sit here in the rain. Oh, So I'm right there with you. Yeah. We had
0: our ball caps on. So his, <laughs> yeah. his, his lenses were uh, protected. And in the defense of, of the guy that was loud and yelling and, and screaming, he was there with uh, his girlfriend or, or significant other. So I don't want to uh, uh, judge. What is
1: the defense that he was trying to show off?
0: No, I think the defense is would that, you know, obviously his he didn't want his girlfriend's hair or whatever to, to get rained on.
1: Whatever.
0: <laughs> You're so much nicer than me. But I just thought it was funny that, I mean, when it just started to sprinkle, it was like, People just were like in droves, you know, mass exodus. Yeah, and it's like it's just a little rain. I mean, it's not like we're at a baseball game. We're outside. We're sweating because it's hot, and it's not like we're you know going to go to prom or anything afterwards. Not taking your dad to prom. There's anything wrong with that? Um, Not speaking from from uh, (laughs) my own
1: desperation or anything (laughs) like that. Not at all.
0: I am just digging a hole. All right. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> so if uh, I tell people this all the time, um, when I travel and where are you from and it's to the point now where I have to like take a deep breath and I say Omaha, Nebraska, and then they all go blah, 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 and I just say, no, it's actually a really nice town. I uh, usually can throw in Buffett, uh, cause they know who Warren Buffett is. He lives here. Oh, I thought you meant Jimmy. And Jimmy Buffett, uh, has one of his cheeseburger places here. Um, oh, okay. But uh mainly just sharing with people that, that we do have the College World series. We've had it for a long, long time. And I tell people seriously consider coming up and checking out some games. Todd, we'll we'll make sure we do it sometime because I would love to. it's 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 the ballpark's beautiful. Um it's just a great family event. There's a lot of people walking around and it you don't feel like you're in the in Dallas or some of the other places where it's just ginormous. Uh, event. It's, it's, it's pretty intimate. So that's it for the college Bowl s- series. Um, <clears throat> this one will be quicker. I just started watching season two of Goliath and man, uh, say what you will about old Billy Bob, but, uh, he, he is really bringing it home on this one. He's uh, a great actor. And I kudo to the producers. I know they all listen. I uh, appreciate them being kind <laughs> listeners. <laughs> um, they did a great job because this is one of those shows that I can't remember when the first season was out. I don't know if it's been a year.
1: It's has about a year. Ago. OK,
0: so I didn't know anything. I couldn't remember anything. They did one of the best jobs of kind of bringing you up to speed. They really did. I think they focused more on storyline versus uh, acting or dramatic moments.
1: I thought if there was one thing that the first season that I thought was inconsistent was exactly that they didn't know whether they wanted this to be a character drama or a courtroom plot drama. Right. And and I thought I thought it was good, but I thought if you guys can figure this, it's much like the the uh, show Ozark on Netflix. I thought if you can figure out what the show is, this can be a great show. So I, c- I can't wait to dive back in. You had said this, and and I want to watch it.
0: He's really good. They got the characters back. They 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 did some some good thinking about how to pull in the different characters that maybe you thought maybe wouldn't be back. Um, it's easy to watch. It's not uh, it's it's not people falling downstairs. So um, oh. <laughs> uh, definitely worth checking out. Season two of Goliath, and I believe that's on Prime. So check that, that out. Uh, before we move into the fantasy movie league update. I have a correction to uh, to issue. On our last podcast, I stopped down a perfectly functioning and smoothly rolling show when I allowed myself to get into a self-argument about the author that wrote The Fight Club. Excuse me, wrote The Fight Club. I don't know if you have his name pulled up. Um,
1: well, damn it, Jeff. You didn't tell me to do that.
0: Who wrote? <laughs> oh, it's still up here. Yeah. It's, Google's like, yes, you already asked this. It's Chuck Palahniuk. Palahniuk, and I was confused of whether or not he was still with us on planet Earth, and I was talking to my father, and I said, hey, didn't he die? And my dad looked at me, the only way a father can, and said, no. What are you talking about? He's fine. <laughs> you big idiot. So a thousand apologies to anybody that, that uh, any of the kind listeners who were, were possibly uh, concerned about his well-being and any sadness that was felt at the very thought of him possibly being uh, not with us anymore. Uh, I'd like across. to toss out
1: a concept for the other kind of radio that if we don't know, you're automatically dead. Therefore, you're revered a little bit more so because you're dead. I know it's a little dark, but at the same time, God, it sure does add some weight to the conversation, doesn't it? It, it does,
0: because that's that's how I got there was I was thinking like, oh, I think he's dead. This will be a great thing. <laughs> That'll bring a little more to the conversation, right? Because you're like, oh, yeah, he wrote Fight Club, da-da-da-da-da. And you know what?
1: He's dead. I cannot wait until we get to somebody else on <laughs> him and go, as <is> dead.
0: <laughs> but yes, he is alive and well. And if he's listening, I apologize. Feel free to email me and, and uh, uh, let me know what I can do to make it right.
1: Hey, Chuck, I actually do my story research, and I knew you weren't dead, but I didn't want to step on my friend's toes, so... Welcome back to life. So your solution is
0: uh, err on the side of death and then throw your co-host underneath the bus.
1: Yes. Now you understand. My God, how many years of friendship did it take for you to get this?
0: It's two deaths in one.
1: It's good. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, my bases are covered. You're screwed. <laughs>
0: right. Right. Oh, that's good stuff. Good stuff. Ah. Uh, all right. We'll. Uh, we're going to move on to uh, another wonderful. Um, thing we're doing here at the other kind radio and it is involves the uh, the fantasy movie league update and i put this together whoop in garage band so i'm gonna let that play for a little bit while i get the website up feel free to dance this is the dancing portion of the podcast this week Yeah, I got funky with it. I played that for Todd, and, and he said he liked it, so that was nice of him to... Uh,
1: I'm over here snapping to it.
0: <laughs> GarageBand's kind of fun. I'm going to play around with it a little bit more, because I can create stuff with their samples, and we don't Isn't have... is that crazy? We don't have to pay any royalties, so... And I'm
1: telling you, as a drummer, if you ever go into that drummer thing in there where you can actually create drummer tracks, yeah, that is crazy.
0: Maybe when you're up here in town, we can you can give me kind of a a, a tour of it. So we are done with week one and week two of the um, fantasy movie league. Um, the winner for the last week was the same gentleman that won the first week. Running the majestic theater um, is Jeff G, and I did call and have an interview with him and. Um, I uh, fat-fingered while in the software and accidentally got rid of it. Um, Kids, yeah, yeah, when you're recording your podcast, um, it's always a good idea to have backup.
1: Oh, God, I just ruined your audio thing. No, no,
0: no, no. no. You made me think of it. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. (laughs) So he he came in first. I maintain my second point, uh my second place uh lead. Um Todd's steady into uh third place only about three million behind me and our friend at the podcast known as
1: The Everlasting Minute. The
0: <laughs> The Everlasting Minute. What what is his name again?
1: David Kinkan.
0: David. David is in fourth place. He is holding his own. I, I I admire anybody that sticks in. It'd be very easy to just give up. And um, and you know decide to to not play. So we we do thank him for that. We really appreciate it, and we'll see what happens. We're heading into week three, where we have some interesting choices uh, as far as movies. The big one being released is uh, Jurassic Park, um, and I think most of us have that film at least listed in there. And I was wondering because uh, when I was picking my list, Todd. Picking that movie was was really difficult for me because I have zero interest in it. Um, but obviously, I'll, I think I'll it's. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say I think it's gonna draw in a lot. Um, are you a fan of that series?
1: Huh, that's kind of difficult. Yeah, you know, I've seen them all. I I don't look forward to it. I don't get excited about it. I, you know, it's one of those that has needed some kind of life in it. However, I know I'll see it because. And I don't mean this disparagingly or hatefully towards my wife. She loves that kind of movie. And I will go see with her so that she'll see the films I want to see. So do I care? No. Will I see it? Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I'm wondering, you know, and they've got Chris Pratt that's rocking and rolling. it now I don't know if they're keeping the same director or anything, but.
1: No, different director. The, the,
0: the, the, the first movie was its draw was, first of all, it was CGI. Um, I know some people think that those are real dinosaurs, um, but but they're not. what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just ruined it for you. Uh, Damn it. right oh, don't tell your wife. Um, but as far as like a real story arc and all this stuff, right? so they find the DNA and they, nah, 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 and then they make it nah, 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 and then uh, and and then that's the end of the movie but to, <laughs> do, <laughs> that's the summary in five seconds
1: but and then uh, <sighs> yeah oh <no. laughs>
0: you can tell i'm a i'm a i'm a uh, foley artist uh, foley artists top, want to be top tier. what's that
1: your top tier foley artist. yeah that's right
0: yeah nothing but the best for the kind listener here um but then they started bringing in, and maybe you, you've seen them all. So then, so then it was returned to, and then, and now they're making super smart dinosaurs and all this stuff. Again, can, to can those,
1: see think it uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. You know,
0: I was just, I was gonna let you break in here just a second, but just, 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 I, I'm just, I'm glad your wife likes it. I, obviously, there's a huge following. A lot of people dig it. I'm just on your. And your opinion as far as the the arc and everything of a story and what they're doing, how, how is all that striking you?
1: So I will say this. What they get by right now is the charm of Chris What's-His-Name. Kid is vastly charming. Chris can be Yeah, can be in the worst movie and somehow bring prestige to it. He really is great. The problem that they're suffering from is what we're breaking down in Planet of the Apes right now. When the original Planet of the Apes came out in 68, you didn't make sequels. And then suddenly they had a cash cow and went, oh my God, we need to make another. They made another without a story in mind. They just threw it out there. And now eventually they made some better films. Jurassic Park has always been that story, which they had a choice. If you want to make the story, what you should have done is that it was about greed. It was about money. And it t- they've played around with it forever and they don't want for whatever reason they don't want to make the story about people's greed which is that if you made dinosaurs it would make a ton of money and they wouldn't kill it i wouldn't care if it killed people it's a franchise that's afraid to take the chance to tell a harder story now have they touched on those and anybody want, it can tweet me and say they have touched on it yeah but they haven't touched enough it's it's a timid franchise and that's the worst thing you can have in the world
0: that's right, folks. You heard it. If you're going to touch it, you got to touch it enough. So, I mean, wow, that's what you got to do. Yeah, I went blue. Um, I I agree with you. Um, I did I did play the game, um, which again is just basically a uh, you build a you build a Jurassic Park, and then dinosaurs get out. And well, you can rewind and listen to my summary that I did a few seconds ago. But basically, it's the same thing. It's kind of a good game. Um, I probably will not see this. I. I definitely will go to, to the theater and I probably won't watch it at home unless there's other um other things in play as far as watching it but uh um you're right Chris Pratt does bring a lot that guy is is worth uh every amount of comedy that he brings to uh to Absolutely. the movies yeah so we'll see how things turn out uh in week three again apologies to um first place Jeff for losing the audio and I promise I'll be much better prepared next week and we'll 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 make it right we'll make it right
1: I would like to say that I'm doing the Rialto proud because it was a third rate theater when I worked there and I'm keeping third place for it I will not touch first place with that piece of crap theater so there you
0: go would you have fired yourself yet or would you have kept yourself on
1: I probably would have kept myself on because I really <laughs> like me
0: <laughs> it's good to be honest
1: all right. Well, that's the Fantasy Movie
0: League update. You can. Uh, I'm going to put some links on the website so you can check it out. Uh, feel free to to join, even though now we have a few weeks left. But, um, you know, hey, I'd love to see somebody join and uh, uh, come in and, and wipe us all out. <clears throat> all right. Let's move on now to the meat of the, the podcast, of what we're doing. Todd did a great job last week kind of giving a summary. So I'll give it a shot um, <clears throat> this week. Uh, Todd and I are are going through the AFI Top 100 10th Anniversary List of Best Movies, um, according to the AFI, and kind of just talking about what's where and whether we agree kind of with its placing, any major actors or actresses we want to, and of course giving a quick summary about it. Um, We will be covering 60 through 51 this week. And every single one of the podcasts have turned out to be a little bit longer than we expected. So we're just going to roll with it, um, today. Uh, I'm excited. Todd said there's uh, two movies in in the 10 movies we're going to remove, uh, review or go over this week, um, that are his favorite movies. So, uh, it'll be interesting to kind of go through that. And then as we get down into the nitty gritty, maybe the top 25, um, will, you know, possibly have some scenes or can talk a little bit more about uh, those films. Anything uh, you want to add in there, Todd?
1: No, just to remind people, if you've not come in before, the AFI is the American Film Institute. It's probably the most prestigious film school in America, uh, instituted by LBJ originally to, uh, before they even made the conservatory where people get uh, uh, master's degrees in film, it was to preserve American film history. And so this is an institution that, that doesn't just look at film according to its popularity they're going to look over significant cultural references how it advanced the art of film etc so this list is made from people that work in the industry and actually can say this film did this and this and this and and that's kind of what jeff and i are trying to figure out why did this film end up on this list
0: you're going to do the intro from now on because that was wonderful wonderful Uh, in fact, my father, if, if, you don't have to say publicly, but my, my father did ask at the college world series where you graduated, uh, school.
1: Well, so I would love to say that I went to USC, but without getting completely into it, um, I graduated from a place called Full Sail University. Oh, okay. That, that is now, believe it or not, when I went there, it was a new film school. Now it's recognized in the top 10 of film schools in America, um, it's 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 a small institution. I'd already studied music, and I didn't want to go again, so that's where I went.
0: Awesome. Okay. Okay. He was asking. I don't know about why
1: that. I felt like I had to define that, but I did.
0: Well, and it's weird because I, I, my dad is like, "So uh, you know, he doesn't sound like that. So uh, where, you know, where did where did Todd go to school?" And I'm like, "I don't know." And and then I'm like, "Oh, is that something I should know? Is that what friends do? Do friends, you know?"
1: <laughs> I, I so don't get into that kind of thing. Okay. That. I, I get very bored and I well I, I first off, I can't wait to meet your dad. Your dad has been so kind to me. <laughs> and so when I say bored, I'm not bored in his question. I get bored with people like, "Well, what school did you go to?" Well, hang on, this is where I went. Now who are you, you know, the ones. And I know that's not what your dad had. It wasn't a whole Ah. Year.
0: Okay. Well, great. I'll just say Harvard every time anybody asks me now. <laughs> 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 but yeah. but with 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 3 A's, it's Harvard. It's, uh, it's not right there. It's a like couple couple blocks down. All right. All right. And enough joking and kidding around. These folks are ready to talk about some movies. So let's do that now. We're going to start out in the year. The year is 1933. It's in the 60th spot, and it's a Marx Brothers movie called Duck Soup. And I have seen this.
1: Wow. I, I'm impressed. I figured you are going to tell me no. This is a Depression-era film. Marx Brothers, as Jeff said, this is IMDb's description. Rufus T. Firefly is named president slash dictator of bankrupt Fredonia and declares war on neighboring Sylvania over the love of a wealthy Mrs. Teasdale. So the, the big things you have to know anytime you hear Marx Brothers, especially when you start looking at the year 1933, we're talking Depression era type escapist film. But the thing was, is they were far from simplistic in, in, in what they presented. It was not the height of filmmaking you're not going to find things that changed the language of filmmaking however the writing the performance there's no second guessing why this ends up where it does because it vastly needs to be on this list it has to be here for people to discuss what film was in those early days of going to the cinema and that's why this film is probably so important to the afi
0: and in any particular reason why maybe they think it's 60th or, or is that just a, is that kind of an insane conversation to have?
1: Well, it's funny you say that because as we were pre pro in the episode, Jeff, I was scanning through some of this because I actually thought duck soup would probably belong in the top 50. It's always been so revered. I am going to be honest. I'm not a big Marx brothers fan. I think they're funny. Uh, My dad really tried to, to push it on me as a kid. And maybe that's why I've been so resistant. Maybe as an adult, I need to go rewatch it. But I expected it to be a little higher. So,
0: my father, also a huge fan of these movies, Night at the Opera was another one that was on on rotation quite a bit at the house. Um, I probably saw a little more than I wanted to. <laughs> um, no disrespect, but uh, but you know the Marx Brothers is good. It's witty banter and and back and forth and and now as you're educating, you're reshaping my my. Uh, neurons in my brain are firing different now. I can see why this film would be up here because it is Depression era, it is escapism, and um, yeah, how funny! This is the other thing that struck me is you read the description. Mm-hmm. Where does that sound like a comedy?
1: <laughs> no, that's the weird thing. You, you read it, but then but then you also start listening to the the idiotic names, Rufus T. Firefly, Fredonia, sylvania mrs teasdale everything is very over the top even in the names it's it's a lot of the things that chaplin did so well yeah just finding the absurdity in it
0: yeah
1: Uh, you know but we're we're chaplin redefined a lot of what cinema cinema the excuse me the cinematic language is that we still have today you're not going to find that with these guys but what these guys did you're there's certain types of comedy you're not going to have without the marx brothers so they have to be on this list right All
0: right, well, that's coming in at 60 Duck Soup coming out in 1933. We're going to jump in the A.V. time machine, head up to 1975 for the 59th movie on the AFI one hundred tenth anniversary film list. And it is a movie that I am going to say I have not seen. It is Nashville. I am not familiar with this at all.
1: This is 1975's great movie by Robert Allman. Uh, This is IMDb's description. Over the course of a few hectic days, five I believe is how long the the film covers, numerous interrelated people prepare for a political convention as secrets and lies are surfaced and revealed. Now, this is very much – this is a very straight-ahead character drama. There is tension. There are ideas that are explored as far as plot devices go, but there are 24 main characters in this film. Lord. And what, when you begin to think what Altman did in the 70s was to introduce this idea of overlapping story themes that somehow you would cut from one that somehow could have relevance on someone they don't even know. That's now. like
0: that's like five characters a day.
1: It's like five characters a day, Jeff. You're exactly <laughs> right. But I want to jump back to what I talked about in the podcast that I watch. You, you begin to think about Paul Thomas Anderson, who's directed all these films with multi – story art approaches and you start seeing the effect that Robert Altman had. You don't have Boogie Nights if you don't have Nashville. Nashville Uh. 100% is that sort of opening the door for the idea that we're going to tell so many stories going back and forth and we're okay with that. You even think, when I I swear to God, when I saw Infinity War, I thought somebody watched Robert Altman because they understood how to tell a story with so many characters. So Altman is one of those people, he's going to be twice in our list today. He is one of those people that completely understood how to tell overlapping stories. Now, probably the best moment in this film film for me, and it, it, it's revered by many people. Keith Carradine plays a musician, and he's not the best of people. None of these people are really the best of people in this film. But he sings a song called I'm Easy, which if you ever go look it up, you, you would think, oh, I've heard that before. The moment in the film when he sings it at a performance is wonderful because you don't know who he's singing it to. Because he's interacted with so many of these people, they all look at him as though he's singing it to them.
0: Lionel Richie's song, right?
1: Yes, it is the Lionel Richie song, Jeff. That's exactly <laughs> Um I, I somehow <laughs> knew you were going there. Um, but the, the, it's a sublime moment because this character has touched so many people and the lyrics of the song speak to them that they believe he's singing to them. Hmm. And it's, to me, it's almost the moment of, that makes the film. It is the 100% magical moment, probably about 70% into the film that that you just cannot miss.
0: Are you happy with its placement?
1: Yeah. I actually think that's a, uh, if, if we're going to say, where does it belong? I think that's right where it should be right about little before middle of the pack. I think it's a great placement.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. My, my, my dad was here, you he could say, Oh, yeah, we took you to the film and you loved it. Uh, but I don't remember. I would have been, we probably didn't because I would have been three at the time. So it probably would have been. Uh, but they did make me watch uh, Das Boot, which again, my dad and I talked a little bit when we <laughs> <laughs> went to the game. It was just like, Oh my God. All right. Well, good for you, Nashville. I'll, I'll check you out sometime. Um, we are headed to the year 1925 for number 58, and that is The Gold Rush, another, another movie I know nothing about.
1: Um, you've seen shots from this, and probably the most, this is a Charlie Chaplin film, 1925. He directed and starred in it. A prospector goes to the Klondike in search of gold and finds it and more. What you're going to have seen is there is the, uh, the shot of him, and I believe it's potatoes, that he sticks forks in and he starts dancing with them. Ah, That is from this film. Um, i would challenge people this isn't my favorite of the charlie chaplin films um city lights is by far my favorite film city lights will break your heart this is a really good sweet film go watch it if if you've not seen charlie chaplin you've got to go watch it because he really did create that early silent language that carries on um, I'm I'm a little surprised this is a little higher on the list.
0: Okay, and uh, you, the recounting of the potato fork scene also was done in Benning in June by Mr. Uh, That's Johnny, right, Johnny Depp. Yeah. Okay, because he was kind of playing that character in that in that movie, right? He was kind of playing right. the,
1: yeah. I Forgotten about that, but you're
0: right. I'm, you know, I'm good for just random stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move to 1976, a movie that I'm pretty sure most of our uh, audience has seen. Um, and I'm interested to talk about this one with you. Coming at 57 is Rocky. So, Rocky,
1: 1976, directed by John G. Avildsen, written by Sylvester Stallone, starring Sylvester Stallone. A small-time boxer gets a supremely rare chance to fight a heavyweight champion in a bout in which he strives to go the distance for his self-respect. Now, for those of you that don't know, this film is actually based on a real-life occurrence, and I I did not look this up, but there was a fighter who did this whole, let's look in a book and let's pull somebody out and fight them. It was not quite the feel-good story that this was. Um, 76 ends up being a year in film history that I bring that up because uh, Rocky wins Best Picture in 76. Probably should not have was um it, it should not have won
0: what was it up against
1: i am actually looking at that because i don't want to misspeak but i i, I almost feel like i know taxi driver uh, uh it may have been taxi driver or means was it taxi driver it was taxi driver well
0: yeah because i'm looking at the list and i saw it came out in 1976 as well
1: okay Net- and then it was network came out in 1976 yeah so, so here's the thing rocky is a great film
0: ah all the president's men 1976 yeah.
1: So you're looking at three massive Star Wars of that of that age. Rocky's a really, really good film. It, it is by far the best of the Rocky films. And to an extent, the, Rocky would probably be revered more in film history if it weren't for the subsequent, you know, continuations. Um, the problem is, is that Taxi Driver, Network, all the President's men are much more, straight ahead storytelling in that they don't feel the need to redeem our hero now i think where rocky actually works beautifully is that it redeems our hero simply because what this uh, imdb description said all he wants to do is go the distance for his self-respect and at the end he can he can love the woman that he wants to love because he has self-respect for himself that's a beautiful message yeah now i think when you look at taxi driver that's a much more haunting film Mm. Network it says something that somehow transcends, you know, even in today. Yeah. And All the President's Men transcends into today. Right. So it, it's also one of those where we talked about the Oscar thing. I hate the Academy Awards because it's absurd that we nominate and we award one film. So Rocky's a great film. Rocky belongs here. I, you know, Sylvester Stallone, if anything, if you've never heard the story, he couldn't get the roles he wanted. Um, so he wrote the script, and he fought and fought and fought and fought to play it himself. It it really reminds me, for those of you that keep up pop culture, with uh, uh, to an extent of Hamilton with Lin Manuel Miranda writing mm. that Broadway musical, wherein he he started writing musicals because he didn't see musicals that could star a man of any kind of Hispanic. He's actually Dominican Republic, but Hispanic Dominican Republic descent. So he wrote things for himself. So Sylvester Stallone did the same thing here. This is. This is a bold statement. This is a small film. Everybody thinks of Rocky's this massive franchise. When it came out, it was teeny tiny. And I will never forget going because my dad, you know, it's one of those that he took our entire family to, and the, the first thing that we see is Rocky getting his, frankly, getting his ass kicked yeah. in a fight. And immediately our, we're presented with a hero who's not a champion. And by the end of it, I remember – in '76, I'd have been about nine or ten. I remember people cheering by the end of it, and you don't get that experience very often in film.
0: I, I think you hit—I think you hit the nail on the head there, Todd. Um, and, and and this discussion and what was the the other movies that were nominated that year is 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 amazing to me because I mean those seem like no-brainers as far as that. But um, I don't have an opinion as as, as far as as if it should have won or not, but. Gonna gonna just go ahead and, and get on that uh, uh, in the turnstile again and just say, you know, it, it tells a great story. And I remember when I learned that Sylvester Stallone wrote the script, it really endeared it more to me because um, you know, it, it wasn't something that somebody was trying to churn out or it wasn't uh, maybe, I, I don't know if, if Sylvester Stallone went to film school, I don't know if he went to screenwriting or whatever. No, he didn't. So, I mean, that's where you catch some of that lightning in a bottle because it was obviously something he was familiar with, and and uh, he his goal was to tell a story, and it wasn't to um, use a cookie cutter to to you know to just make it fit in what we see is so much of a formulaic type of movie that comes out these days. And I think, like Jurassic Park, it it ran into the whole money making thing, right? Because it did; it, it made a huge amount of money because it was it was it was a, it was a uh, I don't even know if it'll be the right phrase, but it was a blue-collar movie. Underdog. Underdog. Blue yeah. Collar. You know, and and it's a movie you can sit around the bar and be like, hey, did you see Rocky? Yeah, I'm Rocky. You know, you're Rocky. You had the great trainer, um, who I don't know the actor that played that, whether we can Meredith look at it. Burgess. Yeah, there you go. Um, just an, an amazing role, and um have so many fond memories of watching it because while it is a boxing film, there are some very very tender moments um, that Rocky has with his girlfriend, and that oh. actress was fantastic as well.
1: Telluride and sister of Francis Ford Coppola.
0: Oh really? I didn't know that. See, yeah, learn something new every day. Um, so to write a boxing movie, but then to still have the wherewithal uh, to write a love story as well, because then boom. You can take your girlfriend to the movie theater, and they can watch Rocky, and they get a little something, and you get a little something, and then, you know, that's that's entertainment, if you will. Um, I do think it belongs in this spot. I'm I'm glad that it's, it's on here. Sometimes I think I should be kind of looking at this list and studying it a little bit more before we do it, but I kind of like these surprises um, in finding this out.
1: Well, you know, I, here's the thing. I fight with myself about this because Rocky – is of that age when I really became very aware of film um, we're about to turn to another film right right now that uh, that woke me up it it literally was one of the first films that ever made me sit up and go wow there's there's something here that's more than just stories right. so I look at at this whole era the 70s to me are this magic era and Rocky's one of them Rocky I when I say these things I I have to split aside the film lover and the film student. Cause I still kind of consider myself a student. You know, I, I oh, may sure. know things, but I'm I'm still trying to watch all the films that I can that I I want to learn and I don't know about. And I have to separate myself because I look at where Rocky probably fails because it's a little sentimental. But at the same time, Rocky is so brilliantly constructed that I I think of those final moments when he goes to his girlfriend and it's, you don't ask for much more of a film to give me something grand that becomes something simple. And, and, and that may be why I actually think that Rocky, you know, as as I talk through this, I've convinced myself, it belongs where it is. It deserves what it got. It's beautiful.
0: Fantastic. And, and, and just to add one little thing on there too, I think this era of film is special as well. Um, because if you didn't have a huge um budget or weren't a visionary like Lucas, you had to if you can't you know just make spaceships and stuff appear um, and lasers and all that good stuff you have to really rely on story and relationship and mm-hmm. it is shot it is shot beautifully um in the sense that you, know, you, you definitely get a clear idea of where you're at and what the neighborhood is. And, yeah, for some reason, it's just one of those ones that stick with you. I don't know, I don't know if it had the, the profound impact uh, or as big of an impact on me. I was, I was obviously saw it a little later, but it sticks with me and w- will definitely be something that I would you know, will stop down and watch if it's on or whatnot, because it is. It's, it's well done.
1: I, I have to throw out the one standout moment. If you can watch this film and get to the gonna fly now part when Rocky's training and finally begins to believe in himself and not have tears in your eyes, yeah. then you and I are not the same kind of film lover. Right. Because that is, especially when you consider that the main crescendo of this film occurs at the midpoint of the film. Right. We finally, da 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 da, da, da we're just pumped with him and somehow they can even climb above that. And why the way they climb above it, is to look that really what he wanted all along was to be with her yeah. and to be able to look at himself and say, I'm okay. That is beautiful storytelling. Beautiful.
0: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's in, in the 57th place. And, and uh, again, I I, I'm, I'm sure that most of our kind listeners have seen it. If you haven't seen it in a while, it's worth checking out again. Hear, here. All right. So we're going to go one year back in time, 1975, in the 56th spot. I know this is one of your favorite movies of all time. It's Jaws.
1: Jaws, 1975, Steven Spielberg, adapted from the Peter Benchley novel, uh, starring Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, and Richard Dreyfuss, tells the story of a local sheriff, a marine biologist, and an old seafarer who team up to hunt down a great white shark wreaking havoc in a beach resort. I, I don't know... If I can contain myself, so I'm going to contain myself. <laughs> this film, there, I, I, I actually I know far too much about this movie. I love, 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 love this movie. Uh, it is a movie that my wife and I consider a stop down date night movie. If it's on TV, we stop everything we're doing and we watch it together because I've, over time, I've convinced her it is one of the most brilliant films ever. This comes from the acting, the screenwriting. The shooting, the editing, I don't care what you're thinking of. Everything around is brilliant. And what's, what's the best about this is that Jaws was considered during the shooting to be a colossal mess. Spielberg was no one at this time. He had made one uh, studio film, The Sugarland Express. He'd made another TV film called Duel. He directed some TV episodes here and there, but really was not a name. He went out and shot this film and had an idea of how he wanted to shoot it. Things begin to go wrong when they didn't test the mechanical shark in actual salt water. They tested it in swimming pools. They put it in salt water, and the shark would not work. Um, there's a famous moment of Richard Dreyfuss talking about, in a making of it, the uh, the film that he said constantly again and again, you would hear over the radios that all of the production associates were, uh, copy, the shark is not working. The shark is not working. And he said that's all we would hear. And it got to the point that Spielberg knew, I've got to find a way to do this. It's probably – he even says to this day – I'm sorry to backtrack, but he says to this day the when he works the best is when he doesn't know what to do. And that's why now when he he shoots a film, he does not storyboard at all. So in Jaws, he didn't know what to do with the shark not working. Ah. And he said, I began to think, okay, what if I shot from the shark's perspective? I don't need to see the shark what if I see what the shark sees
0: can you real quickly remind the kind of listener and, and me as well I think I kind of know what it is but what what is the what is the storyboard what does it do
1: so a, a director is going to storyboard especially when it's a lot of action scenes what they're going to do it almost looks like a comic strip they're going to uh, they're going to have somebody draw a shot and it could be anything from and I'm looking at IMDB right now and they have a frame of Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss. Richard Dreyfuss in the background, Robert Shaw very heavy to the right. What they may do with that is if he wants it to push to Rich, Richard Dreyfuss, it's going to be the drawing of those two people like that and it's going to have an arrow that pushes, saying push to Richard Dreyfuss. And then it's going to have all the other shots. And for a while, Spielberg would storyboard everything he did. But he learned in this film that that doesn't really matter because you may get to the set and it doesn't work. So if you go watch this film, what, there are two things that are absolutely haunting about this film. And that is Spielberg's direction to understand that the camera itself is the shark.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is established early on when Chrissy goes out to go swimming and she's drunk and the camera begins to move up on her slowly. Mm-hmm. But what happens there is we also hear the, the genius of John Williams with the famous bottom,
0: mm-hmm.
1: bottom, bottom. And whenever that becomes quicker, the camera moves with it. They created a language that in one scene told us, when I hear that, I have to be afraid. Now, what is masterful, if you watch it, they play with us with that. Because we'll get that sometimes, and it'll go, and it will cheat you. And you're like, oh, so you don't even trust what they've taught you. Right. That film, it, it is a masterwork in filmmaking. Spielberg, I, I, to me, and I love him. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. I don't know that he's ever topped this film as far as, and, and Schindler's List is amongst the best that I've ever seen in my life. I don't know that he's ever topped what he did in this film.
0: Before I get into what I want to bring to the table about this movie, I have to ask you, because one of the complaints, I shouldn't say complaints, but one of the things you say that Spielberg falls prey to is bookending. Did he bookend this?
1: No, sir, he did not. Yeah not at all in fact this film almost arguably has an abrupt ending because we we get the resolution with the battle against the shark and then we simply get a couple of characters swimming and that's the end of the movie
0: i bet when they when they wrapped up on that i bet everybody let out a huge collective sigh
1: well, you know, I, I, I wish I had how many months it took them to shoot this. There's a wonderful book out there by the screenwriter, Carl Gottlieb, and it's simply called The Jaws Log. And for the film lovers out there, if you've not read that, it's one of the best making of books next to the one that's uh, about Blade Runner. They're, those are two of the best. But this, he literally, as the screenwriter, made a log of everything that went on, and it's just amazing the torture that Spielberg went through and still delivered this film.
0: So I, the few things I've got to mention, and, and by the way, we should throw a shout out. There's a, is it called this, is it called the soundtrack show? What's the podcast where they the break down the, show. say mm-hmm. it again.
1: The soundtrack show.
0: I actually listened to the one on Jaws because I it's it's one of my favorite movies and I highly recommend the kind of listeners check that out because they do play some of those clips and interviews. Cause it was not a, it, it was a rather hostile work environment Um, as they battled all those things. And the two things I want to say real quickly is one in my, in my professional life, problem solving is a huge part of what I do and what my team does when we're, when we're, when we're doing these events. And what I really like about JAWS and and learning more about it is they, they had to come up with that stuff. Um, the, the, the barrels, the air barrels. I believe, and you can correct me. I don't believe that was in the original plan, um, but they had to come up with it because the sh- the shark was, you know, failing and everything. So as I understand it, it, Spielberg came up with the idea, but it was you know kind of like an afterthought. And they said, well, if we can't film it, then we'll have its representation and make it even scarier. By and there's that great scene where they're on the boat and the guy that plays the captain. Um, He's getting drunk and he's like telling some story about people getting attacked by sharks or something, right?
1: The Indianapolis, the the famous story of the Indianapolis that delivered the bomb and then got sunk by a, a submarine and the guys went in the water, the sharks. And he,
0: I'm telling you masterful storytelling because it's, you got the rocking of the boat, it's dusk, which to me is always the scariest part of the day because you're Absolutely. starting to, what's that?
1: I said, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So you're kind of losing light and you're not, your senses are kind of off a little bit and he's doing a great job of it. And you've got the boat rocking, the creaking and the light. And then there's a shot outside the boat, um, you know, water level. And you see those air, those, uh, those barrels, those air barrels come up and I mean, scared the bejesus out of me.
1: Um, so the, Spielberg at that point when you talk about those, those barrels and the barrels are mentioned in the original script. Oh okay. Men- they're mentioned and they're a convention as far as I understand. But what Spielberg did and went to Carl Gartley had been said was what if we actually made them almost like a character?
0: Yeah. What if
1: we made them into the shark? And that's what he did time and time again. It's very Hitchcockian. Yeah. It, Hitchcock understood that sometimes I don't have to show you these things I have to imply it. And It's one of those uh, of the films that when I went to school, you know, there are classic films like Metropolis that we, we were forced to watch. Jaws was one that we were forced to watch and we had to break apart because of exactly what Jeff brought up that you don't always, sometimes it's more terrifying to see a representation of evil instead of seeing evil itself.
0: Right. Because if they had, if they actually, if Spielberg had not gone the route of of creating a solution and, and and thinking openly about the, 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 situation he was in the, the problems he was facing right. then the shark would have been shot and it would have looked goofy and that probably would have really you know ruined the rest of it so you know kudos to him and the, and the hard-working individuals i can't i couldn't imagine uh a worse circle of hell for me personally to be in the water as long as they were filming a movie about sharks um and just the horrendous conditions that, that those all of those, uh, you know, not only the actors, but we're talking about uh, the grips and all the other people that are involved in that film. So uh, not only a well-told story, uh, the great use of music and um, again, uh, using some other elements to show the monster and. Um, but just a good success story when you're talking about problem solving and, and saying, look, we have to get this done. We, we can't just throw our, our you know hands up in the air and, and walk away.
1: I will say that if I was making this list, it'd probably be in the top 10. I bet it would. I, I love this movie that much. It is. I, I never get tired of watching it.
0: We'll watch Unforgiven and Jaws when you're in town. We'll check done that out. Done and done. Okay that's number 56, 1975's Jaws. We're going to move back to 1959, and in the 55th place is a movie I think I've seen, but I'll wait to hear your description. That's North by Northwest.
1: North by the Northwest, 1959's film, directed by the great Alfred Hitchcock, starring Car- uh, Cary Grant, Eva Murray Saint, and James Mason, tells the story of a hapless New York advertising executive who was mistaken for a government agent by a group of foreign spies and is pursued across the country while he looks for a way to survive. Now, that description can fit a number of Hitchcock films. Hitchcock loved the idea of someone having to persevere through a situation uh, when they were mistaken to be assumed, when they were assumed to be someone they're not. That's probably the best way to say it. This film is most famous for a couple of things. Uh, It's pursuit of Cary Grant by a biplane across a cornfield, and then when he and Eva Marie St. run through Mount Rushmore at the end. So I love Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock is one of those that if you want to understand truly what the art of filmmaking is, you have you have to spend time watching him. If you don't, you're going to miss out because so many people have been so derivative of his work. I'm going to say that North by the Northwest is not one of my favorites and i know that probably some for some film snobs in the world they would want to slap me down for that but i think it comes from that it was told to me so many times by my parents great film you gotta watch it and i watched it i was like but it's a good film i'm not gonna lie it's good it doesn't to me it doesn't belong among the echelon of the best is hitchcock still with us no god no he died Late 70s, early 80s. And that just
0: and that just made that movie
1: a little better.
0: You're welcome, <laughs> kind listener. <laughs> uh, I I really don't have anything to say on this. I, I was going to ask you if it was the famous film where the, the, the plane kind of comes close to him, all that good stuff.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that alone, you look at that and th- there are so many visual reference, references that have been used again and again with that idea of somebody running from something coming at them hiscock Hitchcock I mean you're looking at people copying Hitchcock
0: would okay
1: this movie a whole lot
0: okay let's let's go to the, the the film school would would if we were in film class and we were talking about this would a fair comparison be made or or, or uh, would a fair comparison be if I said the boulder in Indiana Jones was the plane
1: very similar okay I, I think that you could absolutely make the case that that is a reference to especially when you're talking about Spielberg the man, he knows when he wants to pull from things and that simple idea that you think you're in a place where nothing's going to happen and something comes at you like that. I think that's a very good grab there, Jeff.
0: Okay, good, good. See, I'm I'm, I'm getting there. Well, that's uh, 1959's North by Northwest in the 55 spot. Let's go to 1970. And the 54th spot, a movie I probably haven't seen and I don't have a whole bunch of opinion on this, but that was MASH. Take it away.
1: So, because I stupidly hit the wrong button, I grabbed MASH the TV show for my information, but now I'm going to MASH the movie. This is MASH the movie from 1970, again, a film by Robert Altman, who we previously talked about with Nashville. This is the film that inspired the TV show that ran for so many years. It tells the story of a staff of Korean war field hospital workers who use humor and hygiene to keep their sanity in the face of the horror of war. Um, This starred Donald Sutherland, Elliot Gould, and Tom Skerritt. It the weird thing is, is when you watch this film, most of us know MASH from the TV show with Alan Alda. It, it, you know, that is a weird enough show in and of itself, simply because it had a laugh track in a hospital where they're fixing people in the Korean War. Now, when you watch MASH, the film by Robert Altman, it has a bit of slapstick to it that you wouldn't ex- expect in this. It's a great film. I think that you have to have it on this list because of it's a his, 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 his reverent sense of humor that it had, for, especially for that era. It came out, you know, when, when Vietnam's going on, and it dissects a bit of what went on with Korea, but people very much have Vietnam on their minds. Um, Altman was one of those people taking chances that nobody else took at that time. So I, I would recommend for anybody to go out and watch it. I think it's a great film. I, I think if you go in expecting the TV show, you are going to be really shocked.
0: Now, was it was it source material? Was it a, a diary or anything like a novel. that? Novel. Oh, a, a novel? novel.
1: Okay. I, Richard Hooker is the name of the novelist.
0: Okay. You know, uh, again, I was young, um, so that may be part of it. But even in my adult years, I have never been able to connect with Mash. Um, even the TV show. Even the TV show. I okay. uh, I I don't know what co- comedic bone I'm missing, um, but I would there were there would be a ton of other things that I would probably watch before this, and no disrespect to everybody that worked on the show and all the people that enjoyed it, but I just you know I remember people always wanting oh you need to watch it it's great it's it's you know it's funny and and for some reason and i don't know if it's because everything's green yeah uh just never just never connected with it but um uh well Well,
1: that's that's the truth for everybody you know not everything yeah it's it's, i don't like sitcoms i really don't people will be like oh you're such a geek you should watch uh what's that thing called television
0: (laughs) a bumblebee a small bus a plane
1: anyway big bang theory and i'm like i don't like sitcoms it's yeah. it's always the same show to me you just put different people around it and i get it that people do i don't so yeah. for this i get that that doesn't work for you who knows maybe the movie would work for you i think altman is okay. a very interesting filmmaker this is also the guy that then goes on to direct robin williams popeye years later so he was one of those willing to take chances and do things He he was a true artist he really was very good filmmaker
0: that that's that's definitely a fair thing to say um and, and, and maybe I'll do that.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I,
0: I've I watched some of that stuff. And what I don't like is I don't like when I'm being told to laugh. I, I, that bothers I don't me. like that either. Yeah, Yep. Yeah. All right, that's uh, 1970s MASH coming in at 54. We have three more movies to go. You are listening to The Other Kind Radio. I'm Jeff. That's Todd. And we are covering the AFI or American Film Institute's Top 100 Films, 10th. Anniversary edition or tenth edition, um, right here on the podcast, and we're we're working our way up. Uh, this next movie, I get so many of them confused. I'm wondering if I don't think it's the movie where it's been a narrow, 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 narrow. I'm pretty sure that's wrong. But we're going to 1978. We're going to the 53rd spot, and we're going to do a movie. And I know my father's gonna be disappointed. Called the Deer Hunter. Will you set me straight on this?
1: Yeah, because I'm trying to figure out why you would quote Deliverance for this. There you and go. I get- this is the D. De- deer Hunter <laughs> Deliverance. <laughs> so I'm, I'm
0: relegated to just letters? <laughs>
1: <Duh>. <laughs> All right. So to set Jeff straight, 1978, The Deer Hunter, directed and written by Michael Camino, Camino. I never know which one that is, starring Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, and John Savage and Meryl Streep. This tells the story of an in-depth examination of the ways in which the U.S.-Vietnam War impacts and disrupts the lives of people in a small industrial town in Pennsylvania.
0: Oh, my God. Could I be any further, like, wrong? Because my second backup one was there's another movie where rich people hunt other humans. That's not this
1: the night of the hunter no, what, I I don't don't
0: know what i don't know no my i'm sorry
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm really confused where you're going now yeah, i'm
0: just gonna really shut my mouth and tell us about the deer hunter since i have no idea what it's so about
1: this is very this was the the precursor to a mini of vietnam films that would come after it um this was and i believe and i'm going to show where i'm going to screw up this may have won best picture in 78 jeff you want to look that up while i talk
0: yeah yeah, yeah
1: absolutely um for some reason, it sticks in my mind that it may have. But this probably is most famously known for the harrowing stuff that showed both De Niro and Walken playing Russian roulette with their Vietnam captors. I I did not see this when it came out. My parents, of course, you know, I, I would have been 11, 12. They would not let me see it. But I will never forget that what would happen. And this happened time again with my parents. They would go see a movie and they put my sister and I over somewhere. I don't recall what my sister and I saw. But I remember coming out of our theater and seeing my mother, and I'm like, how was it? And she wouldn't speak to me. And I just looked, and you know, my mom is a very polite woman that would never ignore her child, but she wouldn't speak. And I went to my dad and I said, what's wrong? And he just told me mom was very upset by, by the movie. And it's one of those films, especially you have to think back in 1978, if this is the first of what we're showing America, the result of people, what they dealt with in Vietnam, this was shocking and I remember years later when I finally saw it you know I'm gonna show the sentimental side to my mother but I got to tear in my eye because I thought I could feel the anguish that my mother felt watching and it is a very harrowing film to watch I'm not gonna lie it is not something that you want to sit down if you want to have a good escape moment
0: what what is it go ahead what is the what is the purpose of the title
1: I honest, uh, I, I'm trying to think of it that. Okay. I, it's been years since I saw it. Maybe they all go hunting. Okay, Kids, for some reason, that, that brings a bill, but I could be really wrong. I may be really wrong on that. I beg for it, for it. But, um,
0: so I have that information that you're looking for, 1978 okay. Oscars. Mm-hmm. Your nominated movies were The Turning Point, Star Wars, Julia, The Goodbye Girl, and Annie Hall.
1: Oh, Annie Hall won that year. Yeah.
0: It wasn't even well, nominated.
1: That, well, see, that's the... that Okay, you're looking at the 78 Academy Awards. You need to look at the 79 Academy Awards, which reward for 78. Because <laughs> you're looking at 78, which reward for 77. That's I'm showing my absolute film geekdom. That was 77's films.
0: That was a test. You passed. You did a good job. Thank you. I'm like, it didn't even get nominated. And I'm like, Star Wars? <laughs> <sighs>
1: Andy Hall beat Star Wars. I know that one for sure.
0: Be, be uh, bear with us here, kind listener. We uh, this we're doing it all for you. Let's see. So I need to find out um, da, 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 best picture. Oh, <laughs> um, nominees: An Unmarried Woman, Midnight Express, Heaven Can Wait, Coming Home, and the Deer Hunter. And the Deer the Hunter Deer
1: World. Hunter. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So there. Okay. You- so I, I was at least right about that. Yeah. It look. It, it is not a film. It's not a film that's going to make you feel good about what our country does in war. It's just not. Um, is it a masterfully made film? Yes. Camino is is a, a uh, actually he may have passed away. Then I think about it. Um, he's a filmmaker that yeah he died in two thousand and sixteen. That took a lot of chances and made a lot of films that people were kind of on the fence about. Most famously, if you ever hear uh, someone say it's it's this filmmaker's Heaven's Gate. He followed up The Deer Hunter with a film uh, 2 years later called Heaven's Gate, which really is unfairly maligned, but it was such a mess of a production that to this date when people have a mess of a production they call it Heaven's Gate. Hmm.
0: Well, wow. I should I should I should further my film knowledge and check that out cuz I, I I for some reason it, there's another movie that's out which was um um and it, it's got some big big names in it where uh, they kidnap somebody and they hunt them. Um, and then I don't know why I was thinking of deliverance. I think I'm, I think I'm in the right, uh, decade, so to speak, kind of film wise, unless yeah. so maybe that's how I got it confused, but I, I need to, I need to watch that and clear it up.
1: Going back to the fantasy movie league. If you do a double bill of the deer hunter and deliverance, I'm not coming to your theater.
0: <laughs> Followed by falling down the stairs. Yes, pretty much. Right. All right, so that was 1978's The Deer Hunter in 53, Todd. I forgot to ask you, you're happy with where this is at?
1: Uh, I think that's really spot on.
0: Okay. Uh, We're going to move to 1976 and uh, the uh, 52nd-placed movie, and I have seen this and can talk about it. It's Taxi Driver.
1: 1976, The Taxi Driver, directed by Martin Scorsese. I believe this is his first appearance on the list. Written by Paul Schrader, starring Robert De Niro, Jodie Foster, Sybil Shepard, and a bevy of other people that you've seen in Scorsese's films. You're going to get Albert Brooks. Um, Harvey Keitel makes an appearance in this. So there are a ton of people like that. This tells the story of a mentally unstable veteran who works as a nighttime taxi driver in New York City where the perceived decadence and sleaze fuels his urge for violent action while attempting to liberate a 12-year-old prostitute now at the end of that you can hear where this gets very dark
0: right and it's i think it's Jodie Foster's first role and she was underage when they shot this right she was 16 yeah she
1: was she was pretty young and i can't speak to that that was her first role i'm, I'm scrolling through imdb okay. she had a few like tv things i'm okay. looking to see if she had any other um major films I, I, you know no she was in paper moon the tv show i was gonna say she was in paper moon the film but nope that was her first major film really
0: i thought i remembered hearing that from somewhere um definitely what well, you talk about yeah uh cineplex will show the deer hunter taxi driver and and uh um what was it north by northwest do you want it as well <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah we don't want deliverance on there no too. deliverance
0: that's right that's right um this movie very dark um it's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember um, being uncomfortable in a lot of it, it but 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 not in a uh, not in a bad way. The movie itself is just set up to do that. This, of course, is the famous scene. You talking to me? Uh, you must be talking to me because nobody else is here. Um, there's also the weird scene where he kind of falls in love with a I think it's a woman that works or is running for office.
1: Yes, and- civil.
0: Yeah, Sybil, so, well, and then he takes her on a date, and the date consists of one part of going to a uh, sleazy porn theater, I believe. Right. And so she you, and she actually stays and watches it. Um, and then they have a real uncomfortable kind of uh, uh dialogue after,
1: <laughs> afterwards. But what you have to take into account: this is seventy-six. Number one, Scorsese, very young, and I was wrong. I think we've already touched on Goodfellas, haven't we? Was um,
0: Yes, Goodfellas was number ninety-two.
1: Okay, so I was I was incorrect initially there. This is Schrader and Scorsese basically touching on New York City at that time, and especially because you have to consider that scene. Porn was suddenly becoming not just gross. Now, with the, the theater they go to is gross, but the idea of going going to see porn, going back to what I talked about with the Wonderland things when you had John Holmes became somehow kind of cool and counterculture in and of itself to see things like that.
0: Ah.
1: So they're really trying to speak about a number of things. They're the, the part of it talked about a million stable veteran. So they're talking about Vietnam. They're mm-hmm. talking about New York city. They're talking about how we were changing, how the times were changing. And, but also what, what violence is and what violence has to be in a situation where there's a 12 year old prostitute. Right. So it, it is a very deep film. It's amongst my favorite of Scorsese's films. It's not something when I say favorite, I don't watch it often, but it it really does speak to me because it's so beautifully made.
0: Boy, you, you hit it on the on the head there. I mean, what a litmus test for 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 a, a, a budding relationship to to go to go <laughs>
1: go and watch porn together. Um, when I come up there with you, we're not going to go watch porn
0: again. I don't think we have any porn theaters here in in good old uh, thank God. good old uh, middle America in Omaha. Yes, yeah, so that would be something I would not, <laughs> I would not want to do. Um, yeah, this is this is another movie that's kind of kind of easy to go through because uh, if we start diving into it, we'll we'll be on here for a long time. But uh, that's 1976 Taxi Driver 52. Um, you think uh, a little higher, a little lower.
1: Uh, You know what? I actually think, I thought it's a little low. I'm a little surprised by that because it's really considered to be one of those films of that second golden era of Hollywood, the seventies, that is primo real estate for those people that looked and said, I want to be Scorsese. You know, he had had mean streets before. He had done some things for Roger Corman yeah. and suddenly he came out with this and it was like, it was a statement film. And I, I I find it surprising that it's not at least in the top forty, and I know that again this is silly that we're doing this, but it really feels like to me it needs to be a little higher. Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree with you. I'm looking at some of the movies that are coming up, and I would think that it it would uh,
1: um, be a little higher itself. All right, well, I, go ahead. I'm gonna give a, I'm gonna give a segue too before you introduce the next one. These two films are actually tied together by the number one list uh, film on this list, Citizen Kane. Bernard Herman wrote the music for. Taxi Driver, because Scorsese thought I want the great Bernard Herrmann, who wrote things like the score for Psycho and Citizen Kane, and I want him to write Ooh. the music for Taxi Driver. Which now let's go to the next film, and I'll tell you how it even ties to the number one film on the list.
0: That'll be the last film we're gonna we're gonna go through this week. It's 1961. We're at the fifty first fifty first place. And we're talking West Side Story.
1: This is 1961's adaptation of the stage musical, directed by Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins. We have dual directors on this. It starred Natalie Wood, George Chakaras, Richard Bamer, and uh, Rita Moreno. It tells the story of two youngsters, two youngster rivals from New York gangs who fall in love. But tensions between their respective friends build toward tragedy. Wes's story is basically uh, Romeo and Juliet. Yes, we took uh, a Broadway musical and we brought it to the screen. Now, here's the big thing about this: when Wes's story hit Broadway, it was not—it was very well received overall, but it was very brash to a number of people because it used a lot of weird percussive and dissonant jazz in it, where a lot of the critics were like, "This just sounds like noise." But you had names like Stephen Sondheim, who who became, he was the lyricist for this and became one of the true greats in Broadway musicals. And so you had all this wonderful uh, conglomeration of, of talent here. They decided to take it to film. They needed a star and they put Natalie Wood in it. They put Richard Boehmer in it, who, if you watch Twin Peaks, you know who Richard Boehmer is. Neither one of them could sing, so they get overdubbed. Someone else sings for them. But they made arguably one of the best movie musicals ever. Now I'm going to tell you how this relates to Citizen Kane. Robert Wise, the director of this film along with Jerome Robbins was the, I'm sorry, he was the co-director. Now, on his own, Robert Wise was the editor for Citizen Kane. Robert Wise pretty much directs the camera, the action and everything. Jerome Robbins was the choreographer from the original stage musical and co-directed the film with him. He what he helped to create is a sense that the camera itself is dancing. But Be- Between the two of them, they created a sense that this isn't just the regular, let's lock a camera and let somebody dance. There's the a very famous scene after one of the boys has been murdered, and they sing a song called Cool, and it's very much a straight-ahead jazz number. But the camera pushes and swings and pulls while they're dancing, and it creates a heightened sense that somehow we're engaged in it.
0: That's the that's the one where he's going like, zip, pow, but up, but up,
1: stay <laughs> cool, da-da, boy. Da-da. Yeah. And that the camera, this is all I ever beg of people. I don't expect anybody else to like movie musicals. I love them. This is my favorite music, movie musical of all time. All I ask for you is this. When you watch a movie musical, is look at the same way you would when we talk about Baby Driver, how the, the action cuts on the pow, 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 pow on on that this is the same exact type of filmmaking it's no different you just have to turn your head and go oh instead of using harsh cuts that went to the music on the gunshots they used a camera that fluidly pulled and pushed and did all this what's masterful about this is that robert wise is the the editor of the greatest film of all time brings his editing skill to this and at the very start of the film you'll see things like the 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 jets i'm sorry you yeah, got the Jets who are, are the, the waspy boys in the area who are picking on kids in the neighborhood and they'll steal a basketball, throw it over to somebody and it will cut to a shot in them a different location of a kid catching a ball. That is a masterful editor knowing I can do a seamless transition that takes me from one location to another by simply continuing the action. Wow. And this film uses that over and over. There are t- points when they do things and suddenly they go down and they go down there, it's like they're in a gang and they go, they lean into the camera, and when the camera cuts back, they're jumping up, but they're in a different location. Right. Robert Wise understood that language of film. And when you watch this, I, you, I, I don't I, I won't even have the discussion with people like I can't listen to movie musical. Then then you don't want to talk about film, in my opinion. I'm gonna, this is one time I'm gonna throw down the gauntlet. <laughs> you have to talk about this because this is so beautifully beautifully made that to me it gets pushed in that top 10 i i and there are are 10 films up there that i'll go and go okay i understand where okay top 20 right but it's it's that good
0: so this is definitely low in your opinion and i I will share with you i i'm not a musical fan uh the sound of music you know some of that stuff comes on around the holidays same director director. um Mm -hmm. You know, it did not something that that I necessarily uh, will stop down for, but I do remember seeing this, and I remember thinking, why can't they all be like this? Yeah. Um, one of the biggest issues I have with musicals, and I think I've said this before, is they'll no matter what the situation, everybody will start singing. Right. And my small brain. <laughs> Can't get past. It breaks the, the 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 flow and the set reality in the fact that I know that not everybody would know the same would know the words. Um, I do like musicals where maybe they're singing to themselves. You know, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I know I have, and and possibly you and some of the kind listeners. You know. Uh, if if the mood hits you straight, you could you uh, you know, or if the mood hits you the right way, you you know, you could start trying to sing a song about maybe some stuff that are going on in your life and everything like that. I know I did that a lot when I was a kid. So those mo- those moments I can I can stay within, but it's when sometimes um, everybody just starts breaking into song. That's a moment where I kind of go
1: uh, and you know it, I pull back a little bit
0: now. Um, I-
1: I get that, Jeff, and the only thing I would I would say to challenge that is you and I have talked about action stories we like. It's much more realistic that you and I would break into song and know the words, as opposed to you and I being able to pick up Uzis and mow down everybody and know how to change the magazines before we got killed. <laughs> There's more realism in a musical than there is in the average action piece.
0: I, I hear what you're saying, and that is not at all what I was expecting you to say. So thank you for that. Of course. <laughs> for that surprise. And, and I'm not going, I'm not, I'm not speaking out against it. It's, it's, it's uh, like anything else. Like, you know, jazz, some people here listen to jazz. And it's just noise. You're,
1: you're absolutely right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, the things that, that I can relate to this uh, film, and and I remember uh, vividly those those moments where they're doing that and they're kind of telling the guy to stay cool and uh, met a girl named Maria. See, I, that, it, to me, is one of my favorite songs in a musical. And I know yeah. at some point other people sing um, because it's great. He just met a girl named Maria, so he's, you know, he's, sing, he's belting it out. He's saying, hey, this it, is this what happened.
1: You get a Stephen Sondheim lyric of, If you say it loud, uh, say it loud. I'm sorry, say it soft, and it's almost like praying. I mean, and now because I want to think of the lyrics, I can't. I'm I'm showing. I'm (laughs) going to point everybody in the world that knows me. But you're looking at a score by Leonard Bernstein, lyrics by Stephen Sondheim, and you're. I I think you're tapping on why you actually don't dislike this film as compared to other movie musicals. You're looking at a pedigree that is above and beyond you look at jerome robbins with his choreography that go to that scene with cool that is some gorgeous dancing yeah and they're doing things that it 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 looks like guys that are really fighting to control themselves and here's an interesting little note that that song in the actual stage musical occurs early in it and there's another one called officer krupke that happens at this point in the stage musical but sondheim originally went and said those need to be swapped they said no. You you hush. You're nobody, Stephen. He told that to Robert Wise. Robert Wise said, "That's right. Actually, these kids need to be all pin up and excited." And so that that happens in the the film differently. And man, if anything, blow off the rest of the movie. Watch two things: watch Maria, so you'll understand what it means to be a love, and watch Cool. Yeah. So you understand what that, that means. I mean, that is that is aggression. It's amazing.
0: The the other thing I want to talk about real quick before we uh, we cut everybody loose is um, if I'm remembering correctly, this film was also shot on a stage, or the majority was shot on a stage. So even there, um, there's uh, the song uh, America where they're they're kind of dancing up there and doing that. But that's 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 if I'm remembering yeah. correctly, they're not on a shot on a location, you know, in a city. It's it's all built, right?
1: Right. The only thing that really has some outdoor locations that actually get used as the opening and man, the the opening, that's another thing where this, this movie belongs just for the opening because it's, it's almost a ballet at the first where it tells a story through dance. So you understand the sharks and the jets, the Puerto Ricans and the Americans, how they're fighting with each other. And it really does use, outward locations and sets mixed together beautifully so that by the time we get past that about seven to eight minute sequence, we don't have any doubt what's going on between them. Right. You're absolutely right. The rest of it is mostly soundstage
0: and, and brilliant, brilliant colors. I keep I keep thinking I'm seeing like a lot of red and and then you know just 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 I mean not just a gentle wash they're they're making a statement I think that's another reason why I really like and I and I want the kind listeners to understand it's uh, I I'm old enough now I'll go and and check out uh, a musical but it made me giggle when when you said that the reason I might like this is because it's a higher pedigree you know and that that's what if I'm gonna like something it's gotta be it's gotta be pretty good you know.
1: That's where snobby Jeff comes in. <laughs> right? Exactly. Let me elevate your pedigree to say that this didn't win Best Picture. It won Best Director for Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins. And it won Best Supporting Actor for George Chakiris and Best Supporting Actress for Rita Moreno.
0: I think I might check that out soon. I may have to watch that on the plane.
1: Please do. it would be good.
0: All right, that takes us down to 51. That's 1961's West Side Story in place 51. Um, you have been listening to The Other Kind Radio, Talk Radio. I'm Jeff. That's Todd. We uh, are done with this week's 10 movies and uh, going to start wrapping things up. You guys have been sitting here with us uh, uh, not not as long as uh, last episode, but we're getting close. So uh, before we close it out, I'll throw it over to Todd for last thoughts. Anything you want to throw in there?
1: The only thing I'm going to say is I, I hope people will go out and do what we're saying. Go watch one of these movies and watch one of the ones you've never seen before and try to try to find these things you know or if you want to watch jaws and and listen to the things that we talked about the the brilliance of filmmaking go out and expose yourself to truly why film works and what it does that's what all we want that's why we're going through this list we want you guys to kind of look at these things in the same way
0: very well said. Very well said. And, and for me, um, it's been an education and and that to me is, is the real benefit here. And I'm going to expose myself to a couple of movies that I haven't seen. Um, but more so I'm getting a better appreciation and I know it keeps going back to me picking on Citizen Kane, but it's been a really interesting journey as we're getting up into, to the top 50 now, um, for me to hear what you're saying and, and, and learn. And then I I'm, I'm gonna say it. I think by the t- by the time we get to the top ten, you may have turned me, and I will have to uh, admit that uh, I can see why it's why it's so high. So I um, beat
1: you into submission is what you're saying.
0: Uh, th- yeah, but 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 uh, but more so just just learning. I mean, this is great. I'm, I'm learning about shots and scenes. I think I'm gonna watch Jaws when we get done with this. I think I'm I'm, I'm ready to see some of that. So. Um, awesome. We'll do that. Uh, folks also remember to check out uh, Todd's book on Amazon called The Risen. Um, it is uh, available if you do a search within Amazon for Todd Hartzell. It'll bring up. I think it's uh, 99 cents. Uh, he's working on the second book. So make sure you check that out. Also check out Minute of the Apes. Uh, I know they're working on the second season. They actually were nice enough to let me come in and, and be on a couple shows. And you talk about a fun group. Uh, they do a great show. And that's Minute of the Apes. Um And then real quick, want to remind you, we're available on iTunes, on Stitcher, SoundCloud. I think this is the first time I've ever mentioned SoundCloud. So uh, we're available on SoundCloud. Do ask if if you do get the opportunity. And I know when I listen to podcasts, I always roll my eyes. But if you do get a second, uh, feel free to throw a little rating at us uh, as we'd like to start tracking some of that data and find out what you guys like to hear about. Because if we can do that, then uh, uh, it'll be more enjoyable uh, for everybody. So... Um, if you want to reach out to us we did uh, give the website a nice update so go check that out Uh, you can always get Todd at Todd at com. I'm available at Jeff at com, or if you just want some info there's info at com. Uh, so feel free to check us out there so that's going to do it this week Um, another great conversation learning a ton about films we'll be back in a week and start hitting that top 50 so for myself Todd, thank the you for joining us. Radio. We are The Other Kind Radio. The Other Kind Radio. The Other Kind of radio.
1: Radio. The other-